finished reading Uzumaki like a minute before I went out the door. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, was it your first time? Yeah. yeah. You're okay. like a Sailor yeah. Moon episode. Fresh. Like, I'm late for school. Like, <laughs> got a coffee in Uzumaki's mouth. Yeah. Fresh yeah. in your mind. She doesn't have to drive anywhere, though. <laughs> Imagine would, if she did. <laughs> Cause oh. so many accidents. That would radically change the thematic impact of the story, I think. No, an episode where she has to learn how to drive would be great. <laughs> I want to see that. It's like, you know, they say that uh, Seinfeld wouldn't work with cell phones, and it's like, would Sailor Moon work with cars? Like, same kind of mental uh, exercise. Yeah, yeah. Before we start, we should probably introduce ourselves. I came up with two questions. I'm not sure which one would be better. Do you want the gross one or the non-gross one? <laughs> I think this is a Junji Ito episode. <laughs> I think we should do the gross one. Yeah, all right, all right. So I'm the the guest for this episode, Nina Matsumoto, and my character revealing question is: If you were in an apocalypse with no other source of food, would you eat a snail person? Oh wow! <laughs> and this Ooh. is a giant snail that used to be a person who then slowly turned into a snail. <laughs> so keep that in mind. <laughs> okay, I'm Jonathan, and um, I don't think I would eat a snail person. At least not if I was involved in the killing of this snail person in any way, even uh, peripherally, because they seem like they're still people. Uh, or at least they're still in a gray area where I don't want to have to risk that. There was one snail that got eaten that was like, they found it already dead and cooked. So I don't know if that... Yeah, that's a <laughs> So would you then area. eat that uh, snail person? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no other source of food. Keep that in mind. No I didn't other kill that snail. Food. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm Jam, and I think about apocalypse scenarios a lot. Uh, so I actually do think a lot about sources of protein in the apocalypse, especially because I'm allergic to meat. So a related question is that I get asked a lot is, would you eat cricket protein? And so at one point, I decided to test if I was allergic to cricket protein or not. And turns out I am. Oh, no. So even if it was a survival scenario, and even if I could get myself to the point cognitively where it's like, I'm going to eat this snail that was a person, it probably wouldn't work out for me, unfortunately. <laughs> but I'm, would you wish you could eat that snail I probably, person? I wish I would. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. No other food source. It's like, oh, it's me yep, or desperate the times, darkness. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, so I'm Jeff Ellis. And I mean, I'd like to say I wouldn't eat a snail person. I feel like in the actual moment of me like dying of starvation, I would maybe make some different decisions, but I just will say that, like, specifically in the reading of Uzumaki, uh, I found the whole thing with snail people being eaten to be extremely revolting, and uh, so just based on my 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 reaction to like that s chapter, uh, I'm going to say no because uh -huh. I did I did not like <laughs> enjoy that at all. <laughs> okay, well, um, my answer is well, first of all, I've had escargot before. And I didn't like it. I mean, it tasted just fine, but I don't like snails or slugs to begin with. I think they're really gross. So just the idea of eating one grows me out. Uh, with that said, um, in this apocalyptic scenario, hell yeah, I would eat, eat a snail person. <laughs> Only if I didn't know this person. <laughs> if it was a complete stranger. And uh, I don't think I could look at the remains while I'm eating it. Like, I, I just have to remove myself from the idea that I'm eating a snail person. So just take the hunk of meat. Take it somewhere and then just, you know, slowly chew it. And, you know, the guys in the book that, that eat the snail person say it's, like, super delicious. So, hey. <laughs> what in Rome, right? <laughs> well, it's good to know that Jeff and John are safe from me due to my allergy and safe <laughs> from you due to your familiarity. <laughs> well, if one of you became a snail person and died and then later I came across you, I'd probably eat you because I wouldn't know who you were. Yeah. Right. There you go. So That's I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> Yes, and then I would become cursed. In that very inevitable <laughs> so. scenario that's mm -hmm. going to happen. You never know. <laughs> I mean, 2019 was pretty weird, so mm -hmm. <laughs> never say never. 
Uh, all right, so um, we're doing something something a little different with Trade Readers today. We have a special guest. Welcome, Nina. Yay. Thanks for having me. Uh, and so Nina picked the books for this episode and next episode. Uh, and uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about Junji Ito? Yes, uh, Junji Ito is a horror manga artist, and he does some pretty crazy drawings, which you might have probably seen online. Uh, very, very well known for uh, Uzumaki, which we're going to talk about at length, and also Gyo, which has like the the shark with like the legs and fish with legs. <laughs> <laughs> mm. And there's also another very famous drawing of <laughs> that he did of a guy with a face full of acne, like covered in acne, and he's just like, squeezing the zits all over a, a poor lady. <laughs> and you know what? Mm. I'm, I'm actually wearing a Junji Ito shirt. I got a Hot Topic, nice, and because uh, they released a bunch of. Um, uh, shirts with his artwork on it, which is really cool. I think it's cool that you know you just go and buy a Junji Ito shirt at a mall now, and they actually released um, a long sleeve shirt with that uh, zit panel on oh the back. My God. <laughs> it was on clearance sale. I still didn't want to buy it though because it's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, as a child, he was inspired by Kazuo Umezu, who is most well known for doing the Cat-Eyed Boy and the Drifting Classroom. Uh, I've read the dra- Drifting Classroom. It's really good. It's so depressing, and there's no hope. It's all about despair. It's all about children getting murdered. <laughs> but I guess he was really drawn to that. And the, <laughs> actually, the perfect edition of Drifting Classroom is being released by Viz right now. It was out of print for a long time, but now it's super accessible. So I highly recommend it. Hmm. And uh, despite uh, being known for drawing horrible, disgusting things, he is married and has two daughters. <laughs> he used to be a dental technician. And for a while, he thought he'd be able to balance a career as a dental technician and a manga artist. And uh, he had a, a very understanding boss who would then adjust uh, his schedule. But he he kind of lost a lot of sleep and uh, stopped eating and <laughs> lost a ton of weight to keep up. So he became a full-time manga artist instead. When he was taking anatomy classes in college, he considered the human heart to be the scariest thing uh, in the world. And uh, I think that kind of speaks to um it, it kind of reveals that in his art like he's really fascinated by um just visceral bodies and, and body horror actually he didn't know what body horror was like that term was until he saw people con- describing his art as such in english and he's like and then when he learned the description he was like yeah i guess it counts because yeah a lot of his his uh work is about like humans transforming into things or terrible things happening to human bodies Usually, with in great detail, he has there's a lot of like hatching in his work to get to make his stuff look really gritty and gross, and lots of blood and, and veins everywhere. So it's gory, but in a different kind of way. I think he actually uses some of his skills as a dental technician in his artwork because he modifies his art tools much like he had to do with his dental tools. Mm. And in fact, he draws with a with a G pen, which is a very you know favored type of nib used by manga artists. But he uh, tweaks it a bit by using dental pliers. Whoa. <laughs> Actually, if you watch the Manben episode featuring him, he shows off some of his tools and how he's modified them to to suit his drawing methods. And he's married mm. to a children's book illustrator, Ishiguro Ayako. Or Ayako Ishiguro. Uh, she draws art in the style of old Japanese wall scrolls depicting monsters, but uh, they're cats instead of monsters. <laughs> so she also draws creepy things, but cute things. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he doesn't consider his stuff to be horror. He considers his stuff to be just strange and odd stories, which is also descriptive of his stuff. It usually is just about like weird things happening and then people just kind of dealing with it the best they can, which I think is a... Uh, is a pretty common theme in in Japanese horror in general, uh, mostly because you know perseverance in the face of horror and destruction. Uh, it's kind of inspired by Japan's own long history of you know constantly being destroyed and then having to just march on forwards and rebuild their themselves and society. And we see some of that in Uzumaki as well. Actually, uh, what's interesting is at first his stuff was primarily published in a girls' horror manga called Halloween. I, I just love that because, you know, Japan has always been super inclusive to, to girls and women when it comes to comics. And to think that his stuff was first published in, uh, you know, a magazine that's just full of horror stories to ca- uh, cater towards a female audience is great. I wish I had that growing up. That would have been <laughs> awesome. Huh. And his favorite horror films are The Exorcist and Suspiria. 
which um, I've, I've seen The Exorcist. I can definitely see how he would be into that. There, there's body, uh, yeah, body there's horror in that, too. Yeah, there's a lot of body horror in The Exorcist. Yes, <laughs> like transformation. Suspiria, I've not seen. Have either of you seen Suspiria? No, the name's not familiar to me, either. It's it's on my to-watch list. Hmm. Um, it's uh, probably the most famous Italian, I think it's called Gallo. It's like yes. a style of Italian horror movie. Hmm. And it's very style over substance, like the plot doesn't usually make sense but it's just like beautifully filmed and I've heard Suspiria is just like the epitome of that genre. It's just like the most beautiful movie that makes no sense. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's from the 70s and it feels apparently feels very 70s too. Yeah. Yeah and it, I think it features like a beautiful lady just being uh, terrorized by a lot of things. <laughs> it's a horror movie I think at a ballet troupe. Oh, okay. And uh, they did a remake last year and apparently it was really good so I've I've been told to watch both so they're both on my list huh. right and there's a, the remake as well yeah it, that's true that's, that's one I was referring to oh yeah. okay okay yeah, yeah. Uh, beautiful woman being terrorized is also a very common theme in, in his <laughs> works I'm not sure why uh, maybe because he started with Earl's Horror Magazine you know we did a lot of uh, female protagonists to make it relatable perhaps that's also a trope in like Western horror movies is having the protagonist be uh, a woman instead of a man. That's true. And yeah. I think he is probably most well-known online uh, for doing The Legend of Amigara Fault. Yeah. Was that oh, the, yeah. the title? Yeah. yeah, that's a classic. Yes, which you've probably... Even if you don't know Jinji Ito, you've probably seen this uh, memed a lot because <laughs> it's about like a bunch of holes that show up in the cliffside oh. shaped like people. And people are solely consumed and obsessed by the idea of crawling into the hole because they think it w- the holes were made for them. So the, the panel of the guy going to the, the hole saying, uh, this hole was made for me, uh, that's what he did. Oh, that must have inspired that uh, C- Steven Universe scene, right? Yes. With, uh, yes. <laughs> it was Amethyst, right? I think so. Yeah. Apparently he saw that scene and he was, he was, very, he was very honored that Aww. people are parodying his works over here. <laughs> <laughs> I think somebody carved a jack-o'-lantern of that this year. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, the front was uh, the guy crawling to the man-shaped hole, and then the other side was... Okay, so I don't want to give it too much away, but by the end of the hole, when they're going down the long tunnel in the hole, at the very end, uh, the the tunnel becomes more and more, like, twisted, and it's just, like, slowly squishing them Whoa. until they're, like, these, like, stringy-shaped people. <laughs> and so the back of the jack-o'-lantern was that shape. Whoa. <laughs> so that's it was wild. projecting that onto the, the back of the wall. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice whoever, whoever did that jack-o'-lantern, that was, like, the I know, I was like, best, I wish I thought of that. Yeah, that's, like, <laughs> the best jack-o'-lantern fan art I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> There's actually a lot of cosplay of Junji Ito's works, too. Huh. They're really well done. Because he has a very distinctive style. Uh, how would you describe his visual style? <sighs> so the detail? Lots of detail. Detail yeah. really stands out to me with Junji Ito's work. It's interesting because like, I was excited about this podcast because uh, Junji Ito has been on my list for a long time, but it just never like the stars never aligned for me to read any. So this is my first Junji Ito work that I've ever read. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and the detail and the realism really stood out to me in, uh, in the work. It's, I would say, like, also maybe, like, grotesque. Like, mm, he just no, has totally. a way of, like, making things, like, just gross. Unsettling. Fact, yeah, yeah exactly. I was, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, like, I feel like that influenced a lot of uh, Cat Diaries in the way his <laughs> art style. He can just mm-hmm. take things that, he can take things that you normally would be like, oh, that's just a normal part of life. And he'll draw it in a way that you're like, ugh. Yeah, like like a cat in yeah. the cat diary. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's really interesting to me how it is almost. I think. Did you say uncanny valley or like uncanny? Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that is a big piece of it, right? Because it is so realistic, but then it's just like a little bit off, and it's because he's able to render things so realistic that it feels off. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really well executed. For he sure. has no formal art training, by the way. Oh, incredible. But you can kind of tell he has a medical background from mm-hmm. looking at his stuff. <laughs> he's probably like totally okay with looking, like studying uh, photographs of like organs and wounds <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, that's always where I tap out if I have to draw something gross. I'm like, no, I'm just going to make it up. <laughs> it's like, just scribble, scribble, scribble. <laughs> well, how often do you have to draw something gross? Not often. I yeah. mean, I, I write scripts where that doesn't come up very much, but it has happened <laughs> once or twice. And like, I was drawing a script for that someone else had written, and 
talking about how I had to draw like uh, a rotting corpse on Twitter, and someone suggested like, oh, you can look up like the the people who research how corpses rot for the purposes of police investigations. Like a lot of those photos are online, and I, and they suggested, oh, you should look that up, and I'm like. I don't think so. I think I, I'm like, I've got pictures of skeletons. I'll just make up what happens in the middle. I feel yeah. the same way about bugs. Like sometimes <laughs> if you have to Google what a particular spider looks like, and it's like a spider on the ground doesn't bother me, but then when you Google it, it's like this super high resolution <laughs> image of like a really big spider and it comes up right away and you're like, ah. <laughs> what I do in times like that is I just Google for an illustration of the thing. Ah. That's a good idea. Life yeah, hack. just a realistic illustration. Yeah. yeah. A drawing would bother me far less than a photo. Yeah, I mean, I know it's better to use, you know, the actual thing as reference, but you know what? <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to like examining a corpse like that, I don't think I could do that either, even <laughs> though I would eat a snail person. That's a Job. It's a job hazard right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't think I'm challenging myself to draw uh, edgy enough things. <laughs> it's like new Inktober. Yeah. It's not a requirement yeah. of being a comic artist. Yeah. What I love about his artwork, though, is it feels very obsessive, you know? Like, mm. he, you, you can feel that he spends a lot of time just hatching away. And if you watch the Mummet episode that he's on, you can watch him do it. Like, just add all the little tiny ticks in all his artwork for that really nice sketchy feel, uh, that rough line quality. And uh, a lot of his stories are about people becoming obsessed and consumed in one thing. <laughs> and I feel like he knows what that's like. Maybe that's why he's so good at writing stories like that. Yeah, the obsession part really came through in this story. And like, for me, that was one of the most unsettling aspects of uh, the plot was this obsession that was driving people of like, everything has to be spirals and everything has to like <laughs> fit into a spiral and I have to make mm-hmm. myself a spiral. And mm-hmm. yeah, and that like, was really how oh, gripping, I think. Yeah. And noticing spirals everywhere yeah. Yeah. Like inside your ear. Yeah. Ah. yeah. Oh, oh I God. hated that yeah. part. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that was, um, that comes, comes across from the, the way that it's written to in that, he seems to have very methodically thought up all possible spirals that might show up and like written a story about it. Like he's going through like, here's a spiral, here's a spiral, here's, here's a spiral. Like I uh, can't think of any spirals that he's left out. And frankly, I'm not sure I want to, because I feel like then I'm being (laughs) consumed by the spiral. Um, It's it's funny because uh, before I read this work, I was actually a spiral fan. So I I do. Yeah, spirals are one of my favorite shapes. And so I do spend a lot of time walking around noticing spirals, right? And, you know, like there's this meme of the the Fibonacci golden spiral. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of like superimpose it on something dumb as like a joke of like, it's perfect. It's nature. Um, (laughs) But while I was reading this book, I read in the mornings. And so I was reading it and then I would go to work and I, I have this horrible bus on my commute right now where the line gets so long and it actually like started to spiral in on itself. Oh my god! (laughs) Spiral. Spirals are everywhere! Oh my god! It's funny that you should mention that because the non-grills question I was going to bring up was what is your favorite shape? So Ah, there you go. You've got a spiral fan here. I don't know. I don't know. Watch out. (laughs) Don't become a snail. Jam jam starts staring at her fingertips. (laughs) Uh, so Should do we want to talk about the, the plot a little bit, too? Yeah. I mean, maybe really quickly, because you're already in talking about what we think about this book at yeah. the same time. So I like... I, this is my second time reading this work, because this was recommended as... Like, if you're going to read Junji Ito, this is the one you should read. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mm-hmm. this came up for the podcast, so I got to reread it and sort of have a second second approach to it. And I sort of feel... My opinion stays the same, which is, like, the beginning where... It's all this psychological stuff, like especially the opening two chapters where like, first of all, is it Shuichi's father is like obsessed with spirals and it it escalates to a point where he just like curls his body up into a spiral in like a tub and kills himself. And then his mother from that traumatic event becomes afraid of, so it's like he was like spiral philia, she gets spiral phobia, which I like the kind of contrast between that so she's afraid of spirals and trying to avoid them and she's cutting her fingertips because she can't look at this this the fingertip spirals and like shuichi realizes that like there's the 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 spiral of your cochlea in your ear and so like he's trying to protect her from finding that out because he knows she's gonna like 
deafen herself and just like that was the psychological aspect and the body horror aspect of that was just so on point and like reading through it it's just like it it was interesting seeing the explorations but then it, it I felt like it started to get really surreal where they have like the girls whose hair comes to life and like starts floating around as spirals and like people transforming into snails which I will say people transforming into snails hits it touches on a nerve that was from when I was a child and I watched the G.I. Joe movie and Cobra Commander turned into a snake and that really messed me up so like having people turning into animals and like losing their faculties and like just losing their humanity was really that's like a that's a trigger deep deep psychological (laughs) terror for you don't read Animorphs okay okay I won't um duly noted but um (laughs) but yeah uh so like that that part i was like really into but then it sort of hit this part where like the the like the wind like if someone moves like the wind kicks up like a tornado and then there are citizens who've harnessed the tornado to like be these like roving gangs and they're like terrorizing the rest of the town and they're eating the snail people and like i like there seemed to be this like I don't know, it felt like he was under pressure to, like, tie it all up to an ending, and I sort of felt like it didn't need an ending. It could have just been, like, man, in this town, a bunch of people got obsessed with spirals, and, like, it started to get, like, more and more surreal, and I sort of felt like when it got to the, the like, wind tunnel people, I, I kind of checked out a little bit, mm-hmm. but uh, when they go into, like, the, the ancient temple underground, at the very end, I was actually kind of like, okay, that was, that's pretty good. Like, the very end, I think, was good, but, like, there's that kind of like that third act that I just felt like this has gone a little too far this has gone a little too crazy for me personally so you guys can respond to that I I totally disagree Um, (laughs) okay (laughs) I really like the ending like the middle felt like it dragged a little bit for me because it felt like he was like just going through like every possible spiral and how can I turn this into a story but then at the end when it felt like the consequences of everything that's happened up until this point were piling up Mm. and things were getting very surreal I felt like okay I'm invested in this again I want to know where this is going mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then the the ancient city thing at the end was just like I think that was a fantastic ending I like that it's weird and surreal and doesn't make any sense uh, that's way better than where I thought it was going uh, and even the um, the old fashioned row houses that are being built into a spiral as soon as we saw those at the start I was like I'm pretty sure that this is some relic of like a previous mm. occurrence and that if you drew a map of all these uh, row houses they would make a spiral with a dragonfly lake in the middle Ooh. what I did not expect was that they would actually build all these houses mm. that was pretty cool right and they all got sucked down yeah. that was yeah. really weird no surrealness is like that's what I'm into yeah. Junji yeah. Ito for like I yeah. appreciated that a lot yeah. yeah I'm somewhere in the middle maybe so like uh, horror for me is a very hit and miss genre I wouldn't say that I'm a horror fan because I am very squeamish and very sensitive, but kind of similar to Jeff with his, like, animal thing. You know, it's like what makes me super squeamish is very particular. So I'm very hit and miss some horror things, like some gore, and I'm like, well, whatever. But then, like, she ground off her fingertips. I'm like, that's nightmares for me. <laughs> Anything with hands or eyes, I'm like, no, yeah, cannot. Yeah. And so I can't just, like, wade into horror casually. Right. Uh, so this was funny because, like, the first part was more disturbing to me. Yeah. Like, the psychological aspect, it, like, really unnerved me, and, like, it was body horror that grated against me. And then the part where it was, like, disaster relief, you said a really interesting thing earlier about how that tied into the psychology of, like, the history of Japan, and that really gave me a lot to think about just now, of, like, mm. oh, this, what is not Uh, So, like, the early part is mining into obsession, and then the second part perhaps is mining into despair, and, like, it keeps happening, and you keep having to go on. That's a really interesting vein to think about. Yeah, I thought about um, that aspect in relation to Uzumaki, because when a friend of mine uh, read Uzumaki once, he said, like, one thing that really bothers me is the fact that like this doesn't all these weird things occurring doesn't seem to bother the main character at all. Mm. Um, why is she just like taking it all in stride? And, and the same as the citizens, you know, they're they're all just kind of like, oh, 
you know, these people are trained to snails. Okay, cool. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh, that, that's inconvenient. And, <laughs> yeah, and I was like, well, that's that's just a very common thing in Japanese horror because, like, of the Japanese culture of, like, minding your own business, keeping your head down, and just no matter what happens, you just uh, deal with it. And it's just this whole attitude of, uh, like, shikata ga nai, which just means uh, can't be helped. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, look, this happened. Well, can't be helped. Looks like we just, we're just going to have to learn to deal with it. And, uh <laughs> Go on with our ways. And that's, I see that, that a lot in Uzumaki. Hmm. Yeah. It's I, a very uh, Japanese mindset. Yeah. And so for me, like, because it didn't bother me as much, the work kind of became a little bit more cartoonish and, as you were saying, like, surreal. And for me, that made it easier to enjoy the right, art, yeah. right? You know, it's like, oh, I can actually just stare at this and... Wow, it looks really weird because I like weird stuff, which is a, yeah. an interesting. Like they aren't reacting the way you would think they would. They're not like she's not like screaming at everything. Yeah. She's just like, huh? <laughs> it's like open what, this what door, you know? and it's like a solid wall of people who yeah. are all on the mass. It's like oh, no room for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we gotta keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so it was. Uh, I th- I think I started to enjoy it, and I I did like looking at the end, even though it. I, at, by the end, I felt like well, it spiraled. makes you think (laughs) (laughs) it's like I don't know what to take away from that but it was fun yeah I'm glad you brought up the fact that it seems almost cartoonish because one thing I love about Junjiro's stuff is okay so it's weird because I like horror but I don't like horror movies Mm. I like horror manga though I think it's because they keep things kind of comical and there's a bit of humor in uh, Junji Ito's works so uh, that like a lot of that comes through in Cat Diary of course but uh, in Uzumaki, even like a lot of there's a lot of scenes that are just straight up funny. Like mm-hmm. when they had that hair battle at school, for example. <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to take that totally seriously. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know? no, it's it's weird. I was having the same kind of same same but different conversation last night with yeah. regards to Key and Peel and how like so Jordan Peel right is amazing at comedy with Key and Peel, and then he makes this amazing horror. And what we were talking about is how it's kind of you know a related skill set. You're it's playing true, yeah. with <laughs> someone's emotions. Yeah. And a lot of uh, Koreans make for good horror actors. Yeah. yeah. Someone I was talking to once about writing for comedy and writing for horror, they were saying you're kind of doing the same thing. With both of them, you're doing a build-up. It's just that in comedy, you're building up to release the tension with laughter. And with horror, you're building up to release the tension with a scream. Hmm. But in both cases, you're making tension... Uh, it's just one is like a pleasant release and the other is like an unpleasant release. <laughs> Which is why I think uh, John Carpenter's The Thing is a really funny movie. Like there's all these crazy things happening, but my reaction isn't like, oh, that's terrifying. I'm just like, whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so my feelings about uh, the plot of Uzumaki is um, on, along the same lines as Jeff. I feel the first two books are very strong, and then it kind of falls apart in the third book. Like I'm not as interested by the third one, uh, by the third act, unfortunately. But what's interesting is, so Junji Ito usually prefers to do short stories. He feels that is his strength, and he doesn't like doing long stories because he worries about the ending a lot. He says like that's what terrifies him the most is like having to come up with an ending. But in the case of Uzumaki, he actually worked from a vision he had at the end and then mm. worked his way back. Oh. He wanted to do a story about people living in a, a longhouse because that's what he uh, grew up in at one oh. point in his life. And he had this vision of people building uh, longhouses in a spiral shape. And then he thought, okay, well, what can I make out of that? So it's interesting because, you know, um, I think... Although Jonathan feels differently, a lot of people say, oh, by the third act, um, things get kind of not as interesting. But he worked his way back, so... Hmm. I don't know. Like <laughs> maybe, Well, maybe he, like, kind of was refining it, and maybe he finally kind of hit... If he, if he worked backwards, it sort of feels like he maybe hit his stride with the psychological aspect by the beginning, which... Because mm-hmm. that was, like, his last... Maybe the last chapter he wrote? I don't know. What um, I dislike most about the third the third book and the ending is it explains too much Mm. and you know a big rule of horror is if you explain too much that's not as scary like I don't want to know why these things were happening in the town I don't want to know the the lore behind this town I'd rather not know that at all yeah like I think that's maybe my uh, I I, that's my I have a similar feeling it's just like I feel like that um, Shuichi's dad just becoming obsessed with spirals and killing himself and the mother getting this phobia and killing herself like just that happening is terrifying and so like 
almost like if there wasn't a reason, like if those were just things that happened and there was no explanation, like I feel like that's actually more unsettling than if it was like, oh, because like there was an angry ghost because yeah. they built on a ancient burial ground or something, you know, like, like I just think having no reason can often make it more scary. Maybe that's why I like the ending. That <laughs> it gave us reasons, and then I didn't have to be scared anymore. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like oh, a relief God. to you at the end. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Vancouver's not built on a <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> spiral, so yeah, we're okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Or um, are we? <laughs> that we know of. Dun, dun, dun. Um, I, I find it very interesting. This is the first Junji Ito that I've read, uh, except for the the fault at Niagara um, mm. Falls, which I've read online. And I don't read a lot of horror, and I don't watch a lot of horror, and I found the difference between horror in comics and film quite interesting. Uh, like, I think I like, a lo- like it a lot better in comics, mm. uh, just because of the way the medium is set up, where often in film, there's lots of, like, jump scares, and mm-hmm. the gore, when there's gore, is, like, photorealistic, and, like, those are things that, like, I'm tapping out, I don't want to know. But in comics, like, I feel like as a reader, I'm more in, in control of the time aspect of the experience. Like, jump scares wouldn't work in comics. I mean, you have page turns, and you can have, like, the reveal when you turn the page, but it's not really the same thing. And I feel like Junji Ito really knows his medium well, and that he's not necessarily going for that. He's going for sort of the the single panels that are, like, composed in a way to unsettle you or the the way that he draws character reactions is just like slightly off and that just adds to the mood of it like those kind of things are like really interesting and wouldn't work in film mm-hmm. and like I enjoy seeing those in comics and seeing someone who's so good at at managing them yeah I think you're right I think there is like a really big difference between how you experience a horror film and a horror comic. When I reflect on it, when I think of horror films I've seen, my experience is one of trying to look away. Mm. Like, I will walk out of the room. I will, like, hide (laughs) behind a pillow. I just can't watch. Mm. But when it's depicted graphically, like, on the page, I actually, like, I lean into it and I study it very closely. And I'm almost transfixed. And so it is a very different experience. It's almost masochistic. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. You're the one controlling the page. Yeah. And if you stare at the panel, you're the one doing this to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, the horror doesn't happen until you physically turn the page. And then it's your own fault. You did that. <laughs> are, are there some panels you find hard to look at <laughs> in Uzumaki? Uh, <laughs> All of them? Well, no. It's like I'm trying to think of like I, I found mm. the one where he was curled up in the bath a little bit uncomfortable. Something about the way that the body was contorted was a little bit too visceral for me and mm. I was like oh I can't look at that and then like a person like even trying to stab themselves in the ear again like that's just direct to a nerve that I can't have <laughs> yeah for so. me the the cutting off the finger yeah just, uh grosses me out uh. and, and the the chapter with the the, the jack-in-the-box kid yeah when he's like springing and like his body parts are falling off and stuff like, oh god yeah I, I find that hard to look at <laughs> for yeah. some reason mm-hmm. yeah Actually, Uzumaki has been turned into a live-action film, but oh. I heard it's not very good. <laughs> and it's going to be adapted into an anime soon. It just that got picked up. Probably work a lot better. Yeah, I think, think so. I'm still temp- um, I'm still interested in seeing the the live-action film though, just to see like how they you know <laughs> do some of these visuals. Yeah, mm-hmm. like what. And the like, CG how do they work. handle that? Yeah, that's always an interesting thing. Well, I wonder how much of it will be CG and how much will be practical effects. Because oh. uh, Japanese horror films still like to use a lot of um, practical effects. Mm. That'd probably be a lot better. Oh, practical effects, man. All the way. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine if like, there was a John Carpenter's Uzumaki. <laughs> 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 well, it's... Oh, anyway, sorry. This, this, is, this, isn't, uh, this is like John Carpenter related, but just like apparently when they did the remake of the, or the, the, the prequel to The Thing... They shot all this practical effects stuff, and then the producers were like, oh, no, no one wants to see that. Just redo it all with CG. And so, like, there's all this beautiful, like, practical effect work that they put into it that was on par with the first thing that no one will get to see because some stupid producer was like, ah, just knock it out in, like, After Effects. That <laughs> it's, like, sucks. very, very disappointing. <laughs> um, if you're making a movie out there, do practical effects, please. <laughs> all practical effects. Red red dyed corn syrup all the way. That's what you yeah, want. Especially if it's a horror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I uh, his art style is very affecting, and I think that that is a big part of the the horror aspect. Where like, just like you know, even just like the like the panel with I can't I, I don't have it up now, but like the doctor like eating the mushroom and this close up of his teeth. Oh, that was so weird. I'd like, forgotten about that. It's just like those little moments that he draws and it just sticks with you, right? And like the the snail people and ugh, like. The whole snail chapter is really gross. <laughs> yes. I, well, see, like, I feel like the turning into the snail part was, like, really gross and disturbing for me. But then, like, the kind of middle part of it is, like, they're like, oh, he's turned fully into a snail and he's crawling around the side of the building. How inconvenient. Let's poke him, let's <laughs> yeah. poke him with a broom. Okay, we'll put him in a little pen and we'll feed him lettuce. And you're like, what? No, that just deflates the whole. Like you, I was so tense, and then they throw that at me, and I'm like, "Oh, this is ridiculous!" And it kind of like deflates the whole thing. That's what I love about his writing, <laughs> and the, the ending to that story too. It reminds me of that famous episode of Star Trek Voyager. Do you know oh, what I'm talking about? Oh, with the slugs. Not the slugs. They're like salamanders. Or something yeah, they like that. turn into like salamander oh, people. Yeah, so like right. so that one apparently was stricken from canon. <laughs> like, oh yeah. <laughs> one, well, so for those who don't know, like I rewatched this recently too, and I forgot the ending of it because I, I mistook it for the ending of the snail chapter of Uzumaki. Oh. So uh, one of the crew members like slowly devolves and then turns into like, and then he as he's devolving, he kidnaps uh, Captain Janeway. And he takes her off to a different, uh, another planet. And when they find them, they both devolved into salamander people, and they've mated. Yeah. And they have eggs, and so they they bring back the you know their crew members to turn them back into human. But they they're like, oh, what should we do about these eggs? And we're like, oh, let's just leave them here. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. And I thought that they destroyed the eggs right away, but I was thinking of uh, the, the the snail chapter with Uzumaki. Oh. Because yeah, you know when they when they mate and have eggs, they just destroy them as soon as they find the eggs. I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's probably the best thing to do. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, yeah. We, we're stuck in the Delta Quadrant, you know. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you I, know, means means or ends. We gotta we gotta take these to the galley, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, but yeah, it was it was Tom Paris and yes, uh, yes. Captain Janeway. It was because he broke the what he broke like the, the warp, warp nine bar- barrier or <laughs> oh, something. Yeah, yes, that's right. Oh my god, that was so he went too fast. The human and body lizard. can't go beyond warp nine. <laughs> You'll into a salamander. Into a salamander. <laughs> and I have. That's not what happened in Next Generation. Okay. <laughs> so we've now, we're talking about horror of a different kind. Um, the horror yeah. of having watched too much Star Trek. But the um, no, but I, I did I did like the the big payoff on on that chapter where like the they have the the slow kid who's always been thought of as slow and he slowly turns into a snail and then the kid that's bullying him turns into a snail and they mate and have eggs and and then the teacher smashes all the eggs and then the next day the teacher comes into class and he's like a snail person and mm. I just. The the final panel with just like him like crawling yeah, that, into that the class. texture is so disgusting. I was actually um, curious if like is his body supposed to be eggs or like because the looks other like he's made of eggs. The yeah. other people didn't have that texture on their body. Yeah. My interpretation hmm. of that is that it's supposed to evoke the eggs, and that this is some sort of cosmic punishment for him having smashed the eggs. But that right. He isn't necessarily literally eggs. Right. Okay. He did the right thing though by <laughs> destroying the eggs. Well, not according to the spiral. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that the the slow kid and the the bully mated though is that kind of beautiful? Yeah. It's like <laughs> It's cosmic <laughs> retribution. Of, that, was, I mean, like, that was like another one of those moments where they were like, oh, how could they be mating? They're both boys. And like, oh, don't you know? Like, snails are hermaphrodites. And you're like, oh, am I like reading a science comic now? Like, <laughs> Do you think they like put their differences aside or were their brains just snails at that point? And it's just like pure biological instinct. They did have a lot in common at that point. Yeah. yeah. No, that's it's true. Like, well, you're a snail. I am a snail. <laughs> Let's make some eggs. Yeah. yeah. But it's like. Oh, they couldn't get along as people, but when they were snails, they were more evolved. Ooh, they- yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's also a very beautiful take on it. <laughs> that could be a whole fanfic about the snail people. The snail yeah. I mean, I, I will say, like, I kind of appreciated how the last chapter did sort of start to tie the things together, where it's like, 
Oh, if you go too slow, you turn into a snail person. But if you go into a row house, you'll turn into a spiral person who's all knotted up with the other people. And, and if then, you go too fast, you start making yeah. Um, yeah. tornadoes. Yeah. So. If you move too That's fast, <laughs> like you can't move too slow, but you can't move too fast. Like I, <laughs> I enjoyed the dilemma that was kind of being created there, but I also then that's where I started to just sort of feel like more. I don't know. Yeah, it sort of felt more like people with superpowers at that point, mm. where they had the, the wind riders like terrorizing the town. It was like. Are these like super villains? Like, <laughs> and they're just kids, right? Yeah, yeah. the ones creating the the whirlwinds. Yeah, and it's like you become a horrible person if you're in a horrible context. So again, it, it leads back to this like disaster, despair kind of horror, right? Of like, mm. so it's just like no matter what you're cursed, you're doomed. Yeah, you're just delaying the inevitable by mm. uh, trying to resist it. Yeah, <laughs> and there's no way to remain pure and good. Like, there's mm. you have to choose something horrible. Right. Right. I think the way uh, Kiri and, and Shuichi went out in the end is probably the most beautiful way you could end up being a spiral. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agree. Becoming spiral yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they kind of foreshadowed that with the the sort of star-crossed lovers chapter where right. they become the sea serpent together. Yeah. And so that was sort of like a repetition of that. They kind of established like, oh, two people can twine together as a spiral. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because Shuichi was so resistant to the spiral, right? And he yeah. was the one fighting... So from the very beginning, warning people, we got to get out of here. We got to mm-hmm. escape the spiral, and mm-hmm. ultimately couldn't escape himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, I don't know. It, it felt it's a, it's an ending that made sense. Yeah, like if either of them had escaped at the end, like I was expecting that they would get away because mm. they survived like all of these hundreds of hundreds of pages of spirals. <laughs> but then the fact that they eventually got caught in the spiral winds is like okay i can see that surviving surviving the horror story is a very north american concept that's true i feel like uh most like asian horror that i've experienced they're just like oh no like everyone's dead like there's you're not surviving that like evil force is gonna win because western stories (laughs) in general like you to believe like oh if you do all the right things then you'll survive but japanese stories were like no yeah (laughs) There, there is no be, right thing to do. You're yeah. you're doomed. Yeah. There <laughs> no has what. to be some kind of morality tale, yeah. even in yeah. horror. I, apparently, well, I, I mean, think like the I think there's a a kind of a morality tale aspect to this as well. Yeah. But the conclusion is different. Yeah. The okay. Is, yeah. 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 You, there's no way out. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I will say that. Like. I mean. I. This definitely. Um. Something I was thinking about now that we've been talking about this is I do get the sense from reading this that. Yeah, there's a, a, a real sense of, um, like, community and helping people is still kind of within the the boundaries of the story. Like, obviously, there are characters that just give up and kind of turn turn evil like the Wind Riders. But, like, there's kind of, like, even in the face of all this, like, continuing catastrophe and disaster, there's always sort of this undercurrent of, like, people trying to kind of help each other collectively. Like, even when the people kind of turn into the spiral people in the row houses, it's like they started that by just like, well, we got to protect ourselves from the wind. We got to extend these houses to protect each other. Like there was altruistic motives. It just ultimately ended poorly. And I feel like maybe in North American narratives in a disaster situation like this, like a specifically thing about like the walking dead, it's like the theme is always like, Oh, you can't trust anyone. You got to like only watch out for yourself. Like if you run into other people, like kill them immediately. Cause they're a liability where I feel like in, in this and like, I, I, it makes me think about like train to Busan too, where there's more of an undercurrent of like, well, no, like we're a society. We've got to help each other. Like this is unprecedented circumstances, but like, there's no reason to like completely like throw everyone else under the bus immediately. Yeah. Which again is rooted <laughs> in, you know, the history of Japan. Yeah. Having, having to come together as a community to rebuild mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Yeah. Even though there is t- a lot of paranoia in the story as well. Oh, yeah. No, there's yeah. definitely tension between people sort of acting on their own for their own selfish interest versus the, like, society pulling together. And I think a lot of the story comes from that tension. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not all on one side where, like, oh, clearly everyone would just be out for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It feels like in the end, the ones that are like looking out for themselves and not, you know, giving into the spiral community are the ones who are screwed in the end. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe they've just given up and, you know, joined the ball of bodies. <laughs> 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 they they could have just, um, you know, found peace. Although 
they do also start you know, throwing out people who have died. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what can you do? They're dead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love when they start doing that and they're like, hey, can you do us a favor? <laughs> and just like get rid of this corpse. It's really stinking up the place. Thanks. <laughs> and there was that one guy. There was the one guy that they left behind and he didn't go in the row houses. He was going around the outside maintaining them. And then when they threw dead bodies out, he would just drag them off. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, his... His one contribution, like, I'm just going to maintain the row houses and bury the bodies. That's my job now. And dis- yeah, despite all that destruction, they're still trying to keep things clean, which yeah. is also very Japanese. <laughs> he always wants some to find some kind of sense of order, yeah. no matter what happens. Yeah, and it's funny because ultimately it was like the old, it was all ordered. It all conformed to the spiral and nothing was unspiraled. That's true. Yeah. It's like the perfect order. And it's funny because like they cut out, at least I don't know if the print version is the same, but in my version, there was the bonus story about the cosmos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 No, that was at the end of the print version too. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting because, yeah, it's like the cosmos is one big spiral. Wow. That's true. Actually, yeah. what I was expecting, my when I was getting close to the end, what I thought was going to happen was that they would find like a black hole or a singularity or something that was like not the way a singularity actually works but it was kind of somehow sucking in everything because when there's like a a black hole that is like drawing material to it it does form a spiral yeah but that wasn't what it was this is more interesting yeah Yeah, Jinjiro Ito did um, read up on spirals to prepare for this story (laughs) yeah it was it is an interesting shape yeah, I was going to say, I, I actually really enjoyed his little, like, uh, autobio kind of, like, uh, like pro- I don't know, process comic where he's kind of, like, like the backstory behind the spiral. Yeah, like reading uh, books about spirals and, like, raising snails eating, and stuff. Yeah. Eating, eating spirals? <laughs> eating, eating all the spirals. I wonder how much of that is true on. and how much of that is fiction. <laughs> he's a strange guy. I'm sure he definitely ate a soft serve cone. <laughs> or, or a piece of Naruto fish cake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spirals. Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should go to final thoughts. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I read it. Uh, it was really interesting, and I'm glad now that I know more about Junji Ito's work. Would you read more by him? I don't know. I've heard that there are shorter stories, and I think that I would definitely delve into. Another 600 pages of Junji Ito at once, I'm not sure I'd be down for. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would like to learn more, for sure. You could try reading Gyo, which gets really weird. I mean, okay. you know, <laughs> this does get weird, but I'm talking about, like, I don't want to give away too much, but there's a lot of farts involved. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll check it out. <laughs> Um, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I regret that I had to read it in such a hurry. I, I've i always been down on horror as a genre, and I think now that maybe it's just horror in film. Maybe I should read more <laughs> horror comics, because like, <laughs> I enjoyed reading this one. Oh, right on. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I appreciated this more the second time through, and actually this discussion, I think, makes me appreciate it more. Um, I still stand by the fact that maybe the first two chapters still feel like the strongest chapters but this also inspired me to read the I, I want to say me shaped hole but that's not the title of the story um Legend of Amigara Falls yeah, that's or it, the Mystery of, of Amigara Falls yeah that's like it that. the Amigara Falls uh, it made me Fault. read Amigara Falls and I would like to read more short stories by Junji Ito so yeah there's uh, a collection of, of his short stories out there okay cool I will look for, I will look for that but yeah I would say uh, definitely at least check out volume one yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is my favorite horror artist by far and I, I, I you know I explained it pretty well in this episode I think um, his blend of horror and comedy uh, his art style which is like beautiful but also grotesque but also you can't look away at the same time <laughs> and uh, I think talking about it in depth made me appreciate it a lot more and I it started um, making me think about the more beautiful parts of the story <laughs> <laughs> you know like the union of the the slogan and the bully <laughs> and yeah. the sense of community at the end I'm like huh that really makes you think <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice to know that if it came down to it that I would have a, a place in spiral together in the row house <laughs> 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 okay so let's do shout outs I'm Jonathan. Uh, I just finished rebuilding all my websites. So go to lostcitycomics.com and you can go from there to everywhere else. I'm going to shout out Jojo Rabbit, which I just saw last night, and it's great. 
it's also dark it's also funny uh, and it's really really good but yeah it's been a while since I've seen a movie that came close to doing, any, doing anything close to what Georgia Rabbit is doing wow cool uh, my name is Jam I am thrilled to announce that I am once again a person of the internet I have concluded my long sojourn in the desert and OasisTalent.ca is re-updating uh, the best of every Tuesday and Thursday with colors by fellow trade waiter and amazing Mr. Jonathan Dalton. Great. Uh, you can also find it on Webtoon. Uh, just search Webtoon for Wasted Talent. Same update schedule. But if you want to find what I'm up to, by far I am investing the most of my time into Patreon, patreon.com slash jam. I'd like to shout out um, Mari Internum. This is another, if you're into body horror uh, and weird things happening, uh, Mari Internum is a comic by Dershang Helmer. And it is about traveling to Mars and finding a society under uh, a, an ocean and a society under the surface of the Martian landscape. And it's kind of another survival story. It just concluded, uh, I think, this past week. Yeah. I'm so you can now read it in its entirety. I'm Ooh. looking forward to getting my copy from the Kickstarter. Likewise. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'm Jeff Ellis. You can find my work at jeffreyellis.ca. And um, I just started reading Rusty Brown by Chris Ware. And I before I read Rusty Brown, I reread Building Stories. And I saw Chris Ware do a talk here at the VPL. And it was one of the most inspirational things I've ever uh, been to for comics in a long time. He doesn't script his work. He just, like, improvs each page live on the Bristol. That is a lifestyle choice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and like, he was, uh, he made a really good case for why you should do that at his talk. And, like, uh, Rusty Brown is an amazing read. Building Stories is an amazing read. Um, I'm on a real Chris Ware kick today. So, yeah, go read, go read some Chris Ware. I'm Nina, and most recently I drew a kid's book called Sparks for Scholastic. It's written by Ian Boothby, also a local. It's about two cats who dress up in a dog suit to save people. And I recently finished drawing Sparks 2, Double Dog Dare, which is coming out August 2020. And the most recent comic I read was Guts by Raina Telgemeier. Uh, she needs no introduction. Uh, it's also a Scholastic book. And this is a memoir about her childhood, much like Smile and Sisters. And this time, it's about her dealing with her IBS and anxiety and immunophobia. And her anxiety and stress would physically affect her, and medicine wouldn't help, but therapy would. So I think it's a very uh, important comic for kids to read. The next book will be Junji Ito's Cat Diary, Yon and Mu. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. Thanks so much to the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in the Inspiration Lab and to Sleuth for the music. You can find us at tradewaiters.tumblr.com as well as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Thanks so much for listening.